Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Greetings, everyone. My name is Peter Cologne. I'm a staff worker with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and it is my uh, privilege to share with you a brief study on biblical archaeology and the stones cry out. This will be a two-part series study, and I trust that this will be most beneficial to you as I share thoughts and the things that I have learned through the years. First of all, let's deal with biblical archaeology, factual foundations for a biblical faith. There's a particular verse that I like to start off with here, and it's found in Psalms 85, verse 11. I want to use this as a devotional verse to share as a rationale for what we're going to be talking about. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. The thought here, of course, is that the psalmist is praying that God would manifest himself anew to his people as he has done in former days. And so I want to submit that the Lord God is revealing things, manifesting his person, his truth in the area of biblical archaeology as is being presented today. So that's what we're going to talk about, and that's the biblical rationale that I want us to consider. First of all, let's deal with what is archaeology. Archaeology is a study of antiquity. What it deals with specifically the biblical archaeology, it deals with the physical excavation remains of the past records that touches directly or indirectly on the Bible and its message. Now, I'm going to share something along the way here because it was in the 90s that I had the privilege of actually participating in some excavation work in Israel. Now, let me start off by saying I am not an archaeologist. A lot of people assume that that's the case with me. If anything, I'm just really was a digger of earth. I put the dirt in a bucket and I hauled it out. And I was pretty good at doing that. So I'm a, a hauler of dirt. But I learned jokes along the way. And a lot of my colleagues with Friends of Israel and others that I have shared my interest back in the 90s when I was doing this thing. And so I heard all these jokes. So I'm going to kind of share these in the course of what I'll be sharing with us this day. Here's one joke here. The study of ancient archaeology is a study of durable ancient rubbish. Basically, is what people have dropped during war. People have dropped their weaponry on the field, and it was buried, and then to be discovered centuries, millennia, even later. So it's the study of ancient durable rubbish. Another joke that I heard people say in regard to this field is that basically all archaeology is a research that is groundbreaking. All right, I can see you laughing a little bit, but I just thought I'll add a little bit of humor as we kind of discuss these things a little bit here. So what is archaeology? 
is the excavation of ancient artifacts that relate directly or indirectly to the Bible, biblical archaeology specifically. The second thing that I want to address is what is an archaeologist? An archaeologist is a scientist, okay? He has gone through formal training and he has studied human history by digging up the human remains and the artifacts of that what has been remained here. Here's a joke. An individual an archaeologist is an individual whose career has led to ruins. But this one is the one I really enjoy. Some of us might be familiar with the author Agatha Christie, wrote a lot of her mysteries. But a lot of people may not be aware, but she was married to an archaeologist and a Syriologist, one who studied the ancient culture of Assyria. And so she accompanied her husband on many of these digs that he was involved with. And of course, I would imagine, and from what I remember, some of her testimonies and her writings of her experiences with her husband at these sites, you know, she wasn't a, an excavator herself, so she was kind of bored. So I would imagine that there was a lot of time on her hands. So I guess that's how she was able to write those great mysteries here. But this is a statement that she made, and I thought it was kind of cute. She said this in one of her lectures, you know, most mothers tell their daughters to marry doctors and professionals. I told my to marry an archaeologist because the older she gets, the more interested he will be in her. That's from Agatha Christie. I thought that was kind of a cute statement to make here. But archaeology is a competitive career. There's not a whole lot of jobs that awaits an archaeologist, unless you're a professor at some university or a Bible college or seminary, or even at a museum, but there are very few around. So it's very competitive. It is kind of hard to find some kind of employment in this field all by itself. What can an archaeology offer? Well, it provides a general background to many biblical details, like people that are recorded in scripture. You know, they, they have found their names on various rings and artifacts and features, and then the various places that are mentioned in scripture. You know, I often said when people ask me about what's the benefit of studying archaeology? Well, one of the things is that you can appreciate that the events that we read in the Bible took place in time and space. Here, it's not something that took place in outer space or some foreign galaxy somewhere, but it did take place here, and therefore it adds to the realism that these things did happen as recorded faithfully in the Word of God. It also helps us to understand the message of the Bible hermeneutically. The culture, as things are beginning to unearth today, they're shedding a lot of light on a lot of the manners and customs of the ancient world so that we have a clear understanding of the Scripture. Because, you know, when we read the, the Bible, we have to appreciate that it's a Semitic book. It's an Eastern book. That's where it took place. And so the more that we get more information about what life life was like in the ancient world at that time, the better then we can understand the message that's recorded for us in Scripture. Now, it does have its limitations. It cannot be used to test biblical spiritual truths, such as the existence of God, the redemption work of Christ, though the events like the crucifixion and the resurrection, of course, we know that. But for the most part, it's not used so much to substantiate the history of the spiritual side of it, but rather the historical events, the places, as I mentioned, and the people that were involved. And so when you're dealing with this field, it's always going to be inconclusive. It's never going to be sure until more things are dug up and then explained. Let's move on here. The reasons for why these settlements, why these things have come to pass, 
Well, there's a few things I want to draw attention to. First of all, why is a settlement used and understood to be, you know, used as an archaeological thing? How did they come about? Well, in the ancient world, the one factor is water. Where there's water, that's where you're going to settle. So a lot of the uh, ancients, when they came into the land, they would find places and sites where there's waters that can be used to establish life. I mean, that's what it was all about there. It was also land growth. Can you grow things there so you could provide food and keep a society going? So that was always a factor. A third factor was the strategic position. You'll notice like places like Megiddo and Hatsor and even Jerusalem. Why are they there? Well, because of its strategic place. There's roads. You can see who's coming and going for, uh, you know, safety and for defense and such. So if it's a strategic location and it has the water and it has land to grow, these are how the settlements are, are created. And then, of course, the roads, as I mentioned here, are used for trades and communication. This is why you have these places that are uh, existing there in the Middle East that uh, are used for archaeologists. Now, here's the interesting thing here. There's a word that you have to know when you're dealing with this field of study. It's called a tell, a T-E-L. Now, what is a tell? You see this big mount there in the back? What it is, is that over the centuries and uh, millennials, different groups have come into the land and they would build and they would establish a settlement in a city. But then other peoples would come in and they would come in the, for the purpose, let's say, for war. And so they would come and they would attack the city and they would fight and destroy. And then if they conquered that city and that site, they then would try to establish a base. And for the same reasons that we just looked at, you know, for water, for trade, strategic location and and food growth and so on. If they want to maintain a stronghold, they would build at the same site. And so they would build right on top of the very city that was occupied previous to their invasion, or even earthquakes or things, you know, catastrophes that had destroyed it. They would rebuild, but they would rebuild a little bit differently as such. And, and they were built on top of what was, was there. But then again, as time goes on, another group of people will come in and there will be a disaster or there will be a war and they would destroy the site. And then they then will seek to maintain a foothold in that region. And they would build on the same site again for the same reasons that we looked at as to why these settlements were settled. So what happens is that you have what you can consider or look at as something like a, a layer cake, okay? All these different levels of civilizations are all on this one section there. And what archaeology does is like they cut like a pie, like a cake along the sides. And you can see the various levels and different stratas of different time periods with the different things that they had left behind. What was dropped, what was used, whether it would be bronze, whether it would be iron, you know, things that had come within time. And they would be on this one big mount. So... What you call an archaeological mound is called a tell. Now, this happens to be a site called Beshan. This, what you see there, is 18 levels of civilizations on that one area there. This is a site where it's believed where the bodies of King Shaul and his son Jonathan uh, were hung after they were defeated by the Philistines. And so there would be somewhere in the bottom. But the archaeology goes very slow. You go very slow as you read the various sites and you go in down. And so Jerusalem is like that too. In fact, Jerusalem has 21 layers of civilizations and occupations of different groups that have come. And so that is called or referred to as a tell. Now, in archaeology, what you look at is what is called stratigraphy. These are the levels that we were just looking at here. And you can see the various levels there and the sites and the things that are found there, you know, what is discovered. First of all, a dig is very organized. The archaeologists are very scientific in their approach and also very uh, calculating. They 
they're very careful in how they dig so that nothing gets destroyed and everything is exposed. You want to keep things where they are because where things are found tell a story in itself. Not only the object itself, but all the surrounding features that are there. So a dig is usually very organized. Also, you got to consider that a dig is also a form of destruction because once you destroy that, that layer there, if you removed it, it's never going to be the same again. So a dig is always a form of destruction that you kind of have to consider there. That's why they really frown upon these free-for-all treasure hunters that was very popular in the 18th, 19th century where people would go into the, into the Near East and basically just dig holes, looking for treasures, looking for things that were worth things, and really disregarding the science and also the study that would come by the things that are revealed. That's why it has to be well done and very well organized. And also the pottery, the expensive pottery, which means like the pottery that have come from other regions of the Near East at that time, gives you an idea as to the idea of exploration exports, how they came into the region, into the land, and they help judge in the time zone of the various stratas when you're looking at an archaeological dig there. We'll talk a little bit about this, but you know, like pottery and oil lamps, they changed in time. And so the different styles gave you a sense of what period these items were found and what they represent. Hey, are you between the ages of 18 and 28? Then you need to be going on Origins. Origins is a life-changing experience in the land of Israel for young adults. For 19 action-packed days, you'll enjoy incredible views of the Sea of Galilee, swim in the Mediterranean and Dead Seas, hike through the Holy Land, explore Israel's ancient caves, serve the Israeli people, all while making lasting friendships and deepening your faith. You're gonna explore the roots of your faith, expect adventure, extend yourself, expand your knowledge of the scriptures, all while exalting our Savior. I want to see you in Israel with Origins. You can find out information by going to foi.org forward slash Origins. Again, that's foi.org forward slash Origins, and we'll see you in Israel. The next thing I, I want us to consider is the accidental discoveries. I mentioned that an archaeologist is a profession, okay? He's gone to school or she's gone to school. They're professionals in what they do and they take their vocation very seriously. But it's interesting that a lot of the discoveries that are well known today were accidentally found. And it's usually by someone who's not trained in archaeology. And here are two examples there. What you see here is a Rosetta stone. It was discovered in 1799 when Napoleon Bonaparte and his French legions invaded the Middle East, primarily through Egypt, and then made their way up into what we call the land of Israel. And it was a, uh, an engineer scouring around the region there who stumbled upon this stone that had these unique writings. And it's this Rosetta stone that had helped decipher the understanding and the writing of Egyptian hieroglyphics. That again, you know, it's very significant, but again, it was accidentally discovered. The other image there, which is Really fascinating is a bronze statue of the Emperor Hadrian, a Roman Emperor Hadrian, and it was discovered in 1975. But this one is really striking because there was an American tourist who was basically metal detecting in the region, not too far from Jerusalem, and 
his machine started giving the sign that there was something significant in the ground. And when they dug it up, there it is, a bronze statue of the Emperor Hadrian. And it's now in the Israeli Museum and it's there to be seen. But these are just two examples. There's coins and other things like that that are often found accidentally by tourists and people. But again, these are how things that I believe the Lord makes possible and reveals them for us to understand. Another field of understanding in archaeology is the horror of fundraising. <laughs> this one is kind of interesting. Here's a statement from a museum scholar. I'm going to quote him. This is what he said in terms of raising funds in order to do archaeology. There's a lot of anxiety around funding for a dig. You get the sense that everywhere money is tight and the competition is intense. Indeed it is. And seeking to gain support, an archaeologist or someone who approaches various organizations and foundations who fund these expeditions and things, they have to somehow convince the groups there to which they're seeking funding of the potential of rewards. What will come out of this dig? What do you expect to discover? Will it be treasure? Will it be something that would be uh, scientific? Would it bring fame? Is it treasures? Things like that. These archaeologists have to have their homework done, why they believe at a certain site this is important and it's worthy of funding in order to have a dig go on there because of the information that it will reveal in our understanding of the ancient world and, of course, the biblical world and so on. And as a result, because there isn't too many institutions that have a lot of means to fund these projects. A lot of digs go suspended or they just never happen because, again, the competition of trying to raise funds is very lacking at times and it's hard to achieve it to get it. Now, volunteers. The cheapest volunteers are the ones who are students and those who are enthusiasts. When I had the privilege of going there, I was a volunteer. I was interested in it. And so they really appreciate those who come and don't mind getting dirty, hauling dirt, digging holes, and you dress accordingly. Those, they also hire locals. In initial, they hire locals, but oftentimes they have to be uh, paid in order to do that, in order to do what they do in excavation work, volunteers. Now, here's one that I think you might appreciate. What do you wear when you go on a dig? Now, look at this photo here. I'm fascinated. I, I like the way these guys are dressed. Look at that. They're wearing jackets and they got their hats on. The, the ladies got their dresses on. And there's a lot of photos like that. Now, this is like around the, the 19th century period at that time. They would go there and they would dig. They would have their, you know, volunteers. But the main archaeologists, they really dress nice. Now, of course, things have changed. And so now you could dress like this. You could get a fedora hat. You could get a leather coat. You got to have a whip, of course. Just uh, be able to defend yourself. And you dress like that even in really hot times in the Middle East, okay? You wear whatever you want to wear, but uh, this is probably one that is really, uh, you know, approach. Now, let me conclude with this thought here a little bit. Thou shalt not steal. I mentioned those early archaeologists in those periods, the 19th century and even earlier. You had explorers there. They were treasure hunters. They went there because the hunting for uh, gold and treasures and things that one could advance there uh, themselves. Egypt, for example, you know, they have families there that are known as professional tomb raiders. They pass the secrets of how you go into find the tomb, where the tombs are located and how to get into them. And basically, they help all these Europeans and, and foreigners to find these places and to uh, enrich themselves. But technically, you're not supposed to steal this stuff, you know? I mean, you know, the, it became popular in the movies, especially like Tomb Raiders and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, Indiana Jones kind of thing. It's fascinating. It's romanticizing, but it's not reality. 
when I was in Israel, I know the archaeologists, they knew of the story like of Indiana Jones, but they said, we don't agree with that kind of concept here. The items that I have, that I always ask permission if I can keep it, they would say yay or nay, but I can say I did not steal it. A lot of the museums in Europe, a lot of museums around the world, uh, the items there came as a result that they basically stole it and it's there. And a lot of these countries today have got a resurgence of nationalism and they want their stuff back. I mentioned Egypt. You know, the joke, of course, is they want their mummies back. Thou shalt not steal. You don't steal these sort of things there. With all that I've shared with you, let me share something that I want us to kind of consider. Where is really the true discoveries? I like to use a Bible verse here, the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let me read this to you here. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifts up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hidden treasures, then shall thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Hey, that's where true discoveries are to be found. It's priceless. It's easy to miss because, you know, you can't hurry. You can't hurry in archaeology. You have to do it very slow and very systematically. And studying the Word of God, you got to go very slow and read and understand what is being said there. And the gift or the, the reward that will come is that it will yield its treasures it would be much more valuable than that which physically comes out of the land. The word of God is treasures to be found. And that's where it is to be excavated there in the word of God. Well, anyway, let's stop here. I want to just kind of lay a foundation. And then our next segment, I want to kind of share some of the exciting items that have been found that relates to things that are found in the scripture. So I trust that this will be most beneficial to you. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.